Today's scripture reading uh, comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, 53 through 14, verse 2. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he did do many miracles there because of his unbelief. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. This is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. The word of the Lord. Um, this morning, we begin a new, ser- a new series, a new teaching series. And actually, it's the restart of an old series in the Gospel of Matthew. I've been working through the Gospel of Matthew over a number of years And so we've started and restarted, and today we get to restart again. I felt it was time to return because I believe this section of the Gospel of Matthew that we're going to be looking at at least well into the summer has something very important for us, something very timely, something we all need to think about and wrestle with. And let me start with an illustration to explain. Um... Just make sure I'm all set here. So that I have not solved yet since the pandemic began and we all started wearing masks. Most of the time I wear glasses. So when this happens, those of you who wear glasses know that you get the glasses fog. And I have not come up with a hack for that. They're online. I haven't figured it out. So basically I'm putting my glasses up and down and all that. But when that happens, when my glasses fog up and I have a mask on, There is like a filter of fog in between me and the rest of my line of sight in my vision, and I cannot see what's happening. Even today, as I was trying to read the lyrics and the liturgy, I couldn't quite see it, so I had to flip my glasses up. I share this because this is an illustration of something I think we've all seen and experienced this past year. I believe what this past year has shown us is the presence and the power of our filters. The filters that we have, the filters that we use to understand and see the world. Now, how can we explain the vastly different opinions that we've all seen, that we probably all have, right, about the virus itself, about masks, about a vaccine, about politics, about race, and many other things. We've seen the same fact, the same event that's out there lead to disparate, differing opinions that couldn't be more further apart from each other. How does that happen? Why is that? Haven't you wondered that this past year? I know I have. I think there are a number of ways we could answer that question and we could explain it, but one major reason is because of the vastly different filters that we all have and use to understand the world, to see things, and to make sense of what we are seeing. 
I believe that this past year has also shown us as Christians, to my Christian friends, the power of the filters that we have. Filters that are not given to us by Jesus or the Bible that we still have. And instead of looking to Jesus first, we often look through our filters to Jesus, which has been the cause of a lot of division and conflict and fogginess that we've all had over this past year. This have been keeping us from seeing Jesus clearly in all the challenges and everything that we've been going through this past year. So I'll be developing this and showing you this today, but we'll be talking about this throughout our series and into the summer. In this section of Matthew that we just uh, heard read, the very beginning of this section, chapters 13, the end of 13, all the way to chapter 20, two things happen in the Gospel of Matthew here. One, Jesus begins clearly revealing more of who he is and what he's come to do. He's very direct about it. He's more clear than he's ever been up until this point. That's the first thing. But as this happens, the misunderstanding and opposition to Jesus also increases. So Jesus is as clear as ever. That goes up. But at the same time, misunderstanding and opposition to Jesus goes up. And it happens even amongst his disciples, those who are closest to him. How does this happen? Why does this happen? Jesus is clear, and yet misunderstanding, it rises along with that clarity. Why and how? A major reason is because of the filters that we all have. Let me show you that from this text this morning. This passage about Jesus' hometown and about King Herod is is really a perfect introduction to this series. I didn't even think I was going to preach on this passage, but as I looked at it this week, I said, this is perfect. This is the perfect passage for us to begin this section of the Gospel of Matthew because it's all about our filters. One, that we all have them. Two, it shows us what happens when Jesus bumps up against those filters and confronts them. And three, it helps us see how we put these filters aside and how we begin to know and follow Jesus more fully for who he really is, not who we want him to be. So let's look at this together first. We all have filters. The more clearly Jesus revealed himself and what he came to do, the more it became clear that people were seeing him and responding to him, not for who he was and what he said, but because and through their filters. Had nothing to do with who he was or what he was saying or what he was doing. And that's what's happening here in these two stories. Uh, Let's look at this together. Verses 53 through 55. Let's look at that again. Jesus had finished teaching the parables. We looked at the parables last summer. He left and he went back to his hometown. So he's returning back to where he grew up and he began teaching there in the synagogue. So they were astonished. They said, where did this man get these wisdom, this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Verse 55. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the one whose mother is called Mary and his brothers are James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. We know his brothers and we know his sisters. Isn't this that same person? Now, Jesus here is blowing them away by his teaching. And they know he's done miraculous things, things that are unexplainable to them. But what you see here, that's not what they're seeing. That's not what is before their eyes. They say, wait a minute. Isn't this 
the one whom we know from our, <laughs> he grew up with us? Isn't this the one whose mother is Mary? Isn't this the one whose brothers are these guys? They're right here. They're saying we cannot believe that someone from our hometown, little Nazareth, from this ordinary family, with an ordinary human occupation, this guy who's a carpenter, with brothers and sisters that we know could do any of these things, could really say any of these things. You see, so they're saying, because of that, we can't believe what we're seeing. We can't believe it. Why? It's not because of the evidence. It's not because of their reasoning. It's not because of careful thinking. It's not because of what they were seeing. It's because of the filter they had. They had no explanation for Jesus, but they said, he doesn't fit our categories, so we can't believe. We can't even believe what we're seeing. We can't believe what we're hearing. What about Herod? Um, who is Herod? There are actually a number of Herods in the Bible, so it gets a little confusing. They all have variations of the name Herod, which makes it even more confusing because Herod is more of a title than a name for a person. This Herod is called a tetrarch because Herod the Great, his dad, divided his kingdom into four, gave it to four of his sons. Tetrarch means ruler of a fourth. So he ruled a, a fourth of his dad's territory, including the part of that territory where Jesus grew up in. So he had three other brothers ruling other parts. This is Herod Antipas. He was not a great dude. He took his other brother named Herod, <laughs> Herod II's wife, and her name was Herodias. So it gets really weird, and it was very inbred and kind of strange, and that was going on. But John the Baptist heard about it. Uh, he said, this is not right. John the Baptist and his prophetic ministry called out this Herod and said, you need to repent. So this Herod had him imprisoned. Verses 3 through 12, the following verses here tell the story of that, how he was actually imprisoned and killed by this Herod. But I want to focus in on the first two verses here, 14, 1 and 2. So at that same time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. He said, this is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He's been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. So I want you to think about this. Uh, Herod's heard this report about Jesus. He's heard his fame is spreading, and he makes this conclusion. This is John the Baptist, raised from the dead. You want to say, serious? That's your conclusion? The idea that somebody would be raised from the dead was actually a ridiculous idea at this time. Not many people believed it could happen. Definitely not as in the final resurrection at the end of history would happen in the middle of history. The idea that uh, Herod is, is thinking here, is saying, this is basically John the Baptist, his corpse, I killed him, now he's resuscitated back from the dead. He's kind of this zombie going out and doing ministry still. Maybe this is his ghost. So here Herod, he hears of the crowds, the miracles, this rising opposition, and he says, here's my conclusion, this is John the Baptist, raised from the dead. So I want you to think about this. Why, why would Herod believe this? Was it because of the evidence? Was it because of what he heard? Was it because of what he was seeing? Was it because of careful thinking? Was it because of the sources that he heard all this from and whether he thought they were trustworthy or not? The answer has to be no. It's because of the filter that Herod had. 
Now think about it. If what he thought was even true, if John the Baptist really came back from the dead, wouldn't it mean then that he would have to pay attention to what John the Baptist said? This guy is raised from the dead. His zombie has come back for you to call you out. Then you would say, well, I better listen to what he said. But he had no interest in that. This was just a filter that Herod used to explain away what he was seeing and hearing about Jesus. Now, this was a totally different filter than the people of Nazareth had. Herod was all about his political power. It was about his own desires. He took his brother's wife. He wanted to keep her. He had these parties, these drunken parties we read about later in this chapter. He made rash decisions. He wanted to maintain his image and his power. And so for him, Herod, Jesus is just another version of a threat to my power, a threat to my control and my desires and what I want. So there you have it. You have Jesus' hometown. You have Herod. And the point of Matthew putting these stories side by side for us is to show us that people didn't really look at Jesus honestly with their reason, with their thinking. They didn't look at the evidence carefully. And they didn't do any of this. Why? Because of the filters that they had. This passage is one of the clearest places in the Bible that shows us the power of the filters we have in our thinking and in our beliefs. So let me ask you, my friends on the live stream here with me, do you know the filters you have? Not do you have any of them. (laughs) Do you know yours? Because we all have them. A filter, we can put this definition up on the live stream slide, is something, right, that lets in what you want to get in and keeps out what you don't want to get in, right? In that way, they're a good thing. Water filters, take out all the stuff in our water we don't want to taste, we don't want to drink, all that stuff, and give us pure and clean water. We have air filters that take out all the dust and all the pollen and let in the good air. That's good. What are some examples of filters we have in our day that keep us from seeing Jesus for who he is in all of his fullness? Let me share a few examples. One of these we might call the conservative filter, where Jesus is the prophet of right and wrong, of good and evil. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way, the only Savior. That gets through the conservative filter. But Jesus, the friend of sinners who ate and drank and attracted the least conservative and religious people of his day, that tends to get filtered out. Then there's another filter we might call the progressive filter. Jesus on the side of the marginalized, of the women in his day and the way they followed him and were attracted to him, the outsiders, the outcasts, that gets through the progressive filter. And it's welcome. But Jesus as judge, that every word of the law, every word of the Bible, Jesus said, that stands. Nothing can get left out. Jesus as the exclusive Lord, that gets filtered out by the progressive filter. You could also say there's something like an American filter that many of us might have when it comes to seeing Jesus. Jesus, the champion of individual worth and human dignity and responsibility. That gets through the American filter, but Jesus, the creator of the church, a community with accountability, your new family that comes with obligations and responsibilities, that tends to get filtered out 
of the American filter. Those are just a few to get you thinking. I'm sure we'll have time to discuss many more filters as we go through with this. Here is the thing about filters. It's so easy to see them in other people and say, you're being inconsistent. You only have a part and a piece of Jesus. But it's so hard for us to see these in ourselves and in our own thinking. But growth as a Christian could be measured in how many filters you have realized you have and that you've set aside in order to know Jesus for who he is and follow him in all of his fullness. We all have filters. Second point, okay, if you agree with me up until this point, what happens when Jesus bumps up up and comes up against those filters? How do we know we have them, that they are there, and what they are, what mine are? This story helps answer these questions. Both in Nazareth and with the story of Herod, we see Jesus coming up against these filters that people had. And we see two things happen. When one or both of these two things happen, that happen in Jesus' hometown and with Herod, then we know Jesus is coming close. He's bumping up against one of our filters. Those two things are astonishment and offense. First, astonishment. In verse 54, Jesus went to his hometown. He started teaching them in the synagogue, so that they were astonished. And they said, where is this coming from? No one then, at this time, no one since then, and in our time, has ever taught like Jesus Christ. He said, love your enemies. Never been said before. He said, forgive people, 70 times 7. Never said before. Nobody has the claims of Jesus where he said things like, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All other teachers say, come and I will teach you how you can get rest by doing these things. Jesus said, no, come to me. The claims of Jesus are unheard of, and his miracles are unheard of. Sometimes we think of these as kind of proof that Jesus was like doing miraculous power and said, let me prove to you who I am. But no, Jesus' miracles were previews. They were glimpses of the world. He said, I have come to bring healing, restoration, the end of all brokenness. Jesus showed us the world we all want. And that is nothing but astonishing. The word here in the Greek means to strike a blow. And this is... What happens when we come into contact with the real Jesus of Scripture, he strikes a blow to us because there's no one like him in all of human history. He strikes us out of our senses. We are dumbfounded. That's what happens when we meet the real Jesus and consider him as he is. So here's the first test that we might have a filter up. If you haven't been astonished by Jesus, if you haven't been struck by him, Like, what is this? This is something new. This is something unheard of. Who is this person? If that hasn't happened to you, you have a filter. You have a filter you are using to see him, hear him, and meet him. If that's never happened to you, or friends, if it's been a long time since that's happened to you, it's a sign that you have a filter up. One thing that's true of the Jesus of the Bible is that no matter who you are, where you're at spiritually along your journey in the spectrum, If you see him as he is, 
He will strike you. He is compelling like no other. One thing Jesus cannot be, if you're reading about Jesus as he is presented in the scriptures, is like, oh, ho-hum, I've heard this before. I've seen this before. Astonishment. It's the first sign and the first test. The second one is offense. Both the people of Nazareth and Herod are scandalized by Jesus for his demand of total loyalty and allegiance to him. They say, isn't this Mary's son? We know his brothers. We know his sisters. Who is Jesus to speak with this kind of authority over us? And Herod says, another prophet to call me out? Who is he? Who is he to say anything about how I live my life, about what is right and wrong for me? And so here's the second test for us that we might have a filter. If we have not been offended or scandalized by Jesus, we have a filter up. We have a filter we are using to see him and hear him and experience him. If you never have been scandalized by Jesus, or if you can't remember the last time you've been offended by Jesus, then that's a sign you have a filter. One thing Jesus cannot be is non-offensive. A nice and easy to understand Jesus who's very comfortable, who always agrees with us and somehow sides with us on every issue and somehow is against all the people and the things that we are against. That's a sign that we are seeing Jesus through our filter. Astonishment and offense. Those are the signs that Jesus is bumping up against a filter we have. One of the most compelling arguments for Jesus, for doubting Christians, that might be you, you might consider yourself a doubting Christian, to come back to Jesus. One of the most compelling arguments for those who are considering Jesus, who don't believe, is something that I came across that Philip Yancey wrote in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He said, if Jesus had never lived, we would not have been able to invent him. Who would invent a person like this? Who would invent somebody so compelling to all, yet so offensive to all? Who, the more you really see him, astonishes you, never heard of anything like this, and offends you and scandalizes you? Who challenges everyone's filters? He is impossible to invent. And Christian friends, I want to speak to you for a moment. There's something scary here in this passage for us. And that is this, Jesus was least appreciated where he was most well-known. Do you see that here? His own hometown, his household. There is a message today here for us as the church, as those who believe in Jesus, to those who are most familiar with Jesus. At this point in the story, there's this major transition. I never thought about this before. I never saw this before until this week. It's a very sober warning for those of us who say, I see Jesus, I don't have any filters, I'm a follower of his. It's a warning for those of us like me. Jesus never went back to a synagogue after this moment. You go, well, what, what's that have to, what is that? What, why is that a big deal? This is fascinating, this is significant. Synagogues were the official place that Jewish people went at that time to get teaching to meet for worship. And after this moment, Jesus decided to work outside of the normal religious structures of his day. He never went back to a synagogue. 
If you wanted to find Jesus, you had to be willing to put down your filters in your categories and say, this is where I go to meet God. This is where I go to worship and find teaching. And you had to go to him where he was on his terms. Friends, there are dead churches all over the world. They're museums. They're tourist attractions. And there are vibrant churches all over the world, churches full of people who are willing to sacrifice anything for Jesus, who are zealous for him. What's the difference? Well, at a certain point, known only to Jesus, Jesus moves outside of our religious structures when we cling to our filters. He goes to those who let him through and put any and all filters aside and say, we just want to see you, Jesus. We just want to follow you. We just want to hear from you, whatever the implications and the cost and the reordering of our minds and hearts, whatever people think of us, whatever I'll have to give up, I just want to see you in all of your fullness. And that is where Jesus will go. In verse 57, Jesus said, well, it says they were offended by him. And then Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And then it says he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. This is sobering, the sobering truth of what happens when the prophetic ministry of Jesus is not honored. There's a way to think about Jesus according to a threefold office. This is a traditional way of thinking in our tradition. How do we make sense of all that Jesus uh, does and, and is? He is a king, he is a prophet, he is a priest. This is about his prophetic ministry. Where the prophetic ministry of Jesus is given full reign, there his power is most fully released. Now, think about it like this. The um, kingly ministry of Jesus is where he drives back evil and brings his right order to the world, where he brings healing. And we say, yes, Jesus, bring more of that, more of your kingdom, more healing. The priestly ministry of Jesus is where he gently meets broken and sinful people and says, I will meet you where you are at, and I will draw you back to God. And we say, Jesus, more of that. The prophetic ministry of Jesus is when he tells us, the truth we don't want to hear and the truth that we don't see. And we say, Jesus, I'm not sure about that. Our catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism says, the main audience of Jesus' prophetic ministry is the church. Jesus exercises his prophetic ministry to the church by revealing to us the full will of God. And the question is, will we receive it? Psalm 50, 21 says this. You have done these things, I kept silent. You thought, God says, I was just like you, but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. Thank God for this, that God doesn't remain silent, but he rebukes and lays out the case before us, when we think he is just like us, when we see him through filters of our own making. The French writer Voltaire, you may have heard this quote, he said this, in the beginning God created man in his own image and man has been trying 
to repay the favor ever since. When God rebukes us and lays out the case like this passage does for us, and he shows us that we have all filters that he wants to deal with and he needs, he needs to confront, and we need to set them aside, that the Jesus we have made is one that we have made in our own image to a certain extent, what do we do? How do we know and see Jesus unfiltered? This passage helps us see what the answer is. This is the third point in the message. Jesus unfiltered. How do we see him? The answer is given here. Faith. It says, Jesus moved on. He didn't do much there in his hometown because of their unbelief. So the polar opposite of that, how do we see Jesus? How does he continue his work amongst us? It's through faith. And you might say, okay, now, <laughs> Eric, what you're saying is just have faith, just have blind faith, um, you know, just, just believe. Is that what you're saying to me? No, not exactly. Note in this section that faith, according to the passage, is not opposed to reason. It's not opposed to evidence. It's not in spite of the evidence. It is in line with reasoning. It is in line with the evidence of what people were seeing. Who are the unreasonable and unthinking people in this story? It is the people who looked at what they were seeing, who heard Jesus, who were compelled and offended by him and said, no, we're not going to let Jesus through our filters. In verse 58, where it says Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief, that can be probably misunderstood pretty easily by us. I was thinking about it this week and going, what's going on here? Because sometimes Jesus healed people without any reference to their faith. We have examples of that in the Gospels. Here's how I think we should understand this. By asking this question, if Jesus were to do miracles in his hometown, if Jesus were to show up with Herod and say, here's a miracle for you, Herod, now do you believe? Would it have made any difference? They were already unwilling to see Jesus as he is, without any filter, because they were too committed to the filters they had, the categories they had. They weren't willing to let Jesus challenge them. If they would have seen any other miracle, they would have just reinterpreted it the way they were already seeing and interpreting Jesus. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, after telling the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, in that parable, the rich man who was sent to the place of judgment while Lazarus was in paradise, he said, can you just send somebody back from the dead to my relatives so they know judgment is real, this is real. And Jesus says, if they don't believe the scriptures, neither will they believe if someone is raised from the dead. What Jesus is saying is a miracle won't make any difference because it's not the cause of the unbelief in the first place. If my glasses are all fogged up, Right? Something amazing can happen right in front of my eyes, but I won't even see it. I'll miss it. I won't see it until I take my glasses off, until the fog goes away. What they needed was not another miracle, not a better argument to believe. They needed to be able to see Jesus for who he was, with no filters and no fog. They needed to be astonished and be offended. The things that were hardest to believe about Jesus, that they thought were too good to be true, they needed to consider those 
and the evidence right before their eyes. The things that were hardest to accept, that they didn't want to be true, that offended them. They needed to let it through. So friends, how do we let go of the filters? How do we see the fog unveiled? The answer according to this passage is we need to just focus on Jesus. Just look at Him. Keep our eyes on Him. There's another way that uh, psychologists and theorists have described this tendency that we all have filters. They call it tunnel vision or tunnel theory. That all we see is what our vision is tunneled on. And anything outside of that, we just don't see. It's impossible for us to see what's outside of that tunnel. We've come to call it echo chambers, that we all exist in our own echo chambers. We only hear what we want to hear, and we just get that voice echoed back to us. The answer, according to this text, is get that tunnel focused on Jesus Christ. Look to Him. I have a quote I'd like to share over the uh, live stream. It's from Ray Ortland, pastor whom I greatly respect and admire. He says this, One significant reason we in our churches drift into unhealth is that we neglect or underemphasize or even turn away from aspects of Christ himself that we find confusing or threatening. We get healthy again when we stop miniaturizing Christ and rediscover his actual grandeur, and we allow him in our churches and in our lives to be all that, in fact, he is. So, friends, I just want to ask you this. I'm going to close with two final thoughts. Have you closed your mind or your heart to Jesus? Do you have your tunnel vision on something else? Have you opened up your mind and your heart to see him as he is? There's an illustration that I found from John Calvin, who's referencing an illustration he liked from St. Augustine. So way back in the day, he said this, and I I just had to share it. I think it's great. Uh, Augustine, in this, reflecting on this text, he compares faith to the open mouth of a vessel while he speaks of faith as resembling a stopper by which the vessel is closed so as not to receive the good liquor which God pours into it. If you're not familiar with a good old-fashioned Presbyterian illustration, this is it from John Calvin where he said, open up your heart to receive the good liquor from God. But I like that illustration. Do we have a stopper over our hearts and minds? What is that stopper? Unleash it. Look to Jesus. Finally, there is hope in this text because Jesus doesn't give up on us. Even if we have a stopper, even if we have a filter, there's a warning in this passage, but there's hope here. We don't know the full story of Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, but we know more about the story of a couple of his family members, especially his brothers. John 7, 5 says his brothers didn't believe in him. This text gives us the impression his brothers didn't believe in him, but Jesus didn't give up. In 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it says, Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, he appeared to James, his brother. And James became one of the most passionate believers in Jesus, a leader of the early church, an author of a letter in the New Testament that bears his name. Jesus didn't give up on him. We know the same thing is true for his other brother in this text named Jude. 
who also wrote a letter in the New Testament. Even when we try to filter parts of Jesus out, even when we put the stopper and the lid over our eyes and over our hearts, Jesus doesn't give up on us. And that's good news, friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this passage of your word that presents a case for us that we do have filters, it's hard for us to hear. All of us think, no, we're thinking reasonably and clearly. We're willing to look at things as they are. But I pray that you would show us where we're not, where we're missing out, where the fullness of your son, Jesus Christ, a part of that fullness is being blocked out or stopped out of our hearts and our minds and our lives. We don't want that to be. And so I pray that you would unlock those things, that you would show us those filters, that we would set them aside so that we would have tunnel vision on your son, our Savior, that we'd be astonished by him again, that where we need to be called out, we'd be willing to be called out, and that we would follow and trust him wherever he leads and whatever he shows us, we'd be willing to see it. We pray it for the glory of his name. Amen.